How many of us know sometimes in life we need a little help from our friends, right? And we do. How you doing this morning? Estoy bien, John, pero no te entiendo casi nada de lo que me dices. Say what? No te entiendo, pero dime algo. How was your day yesterday? Ah, algo de que si comí algo, sí, yo creo que sí. Really? No, no wow. te entiendo, pero estás hablando de comida, porque yo sé que trabajas en la comida. That sounds interesting. I don't know what you're saying. Was, was, uh, uh, te voy a entender poquito, pero se me hace que me estás diciendo que me vas a invitar a comer. What's that, Sam? How was your donut? Oh, donuts. Oh, <laughs> sí. <laughs> So how is your family, Joel? How you doing? Pues creo que sí estoy perdiendo algo de peso. No mucho, pero se me hace que lo que estás preguntando. Really? Sí, es casi no te entiendo, pero ay, ay, ay. Ay, caramba, sí. You know, there's only one under uh, one language I understand, which is English. You know, unfortunately for you know for Joel, he's lucky. He's bilingual. Joel understands English and Spanish. Now, I have no idea, you know, I said a couple of things to Joel, and I have no idea what Joel responded with. Hopefully, all good things, right? Well, well it was like, uh, I couldn't understand what you were saying. I was pretending I didn't speak the language. Oh, so it was okay. kind of like, you know, I, I was the same way. I mean, I, I, get, lo I get lost because I can't, I can't understand language. Spiritually, what we don't understand is sometimes that's how the Holy Spirit sounds to us is foreign. When the Holy Spirit's trying to give you direction, when the Holy Spirit's trying to give you provision, when the Holy Spirit's trying to provide healing, sometimes it sounds foreign to us. And so Joel this morning, he's going to help me as we're going to go through our scripture. Our, our text this morning is John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Vamos a leer Juan capítulo 6, el verso 1 al 6. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the sea. Después de esto, Jesús cruzó a la otra parte del mar. Also known as the Sea of Tiberias. También conocido como la, el Mar de Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Y una multitud lo siguió a donde quiera que fuera. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Porque vieron todos sus este, uh, milagros a conforme uh, sanaba a los enfermos. Then Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples around him. Entonces Je Je Jesús subió a la montaña se sentó y todos sus discípulos alrededor de él. It was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Y era tiempo para lo que era el uh, Jewish Passover celebration. <laughs> Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Eh, Jesús vio que venía una multitud de gente para con él. Turning to Philip, y volteó a ver a Felipe, he asked, y le preguntó, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Y dónde podemos comprar comida para darle de comer a toda esta gente? He was testing Philip. Estaba él probando a Felipe. For he already knew what he was going to do. Porque Jesús ya sabía lo que él iba a hacer. Verse 7. Philip replied. Y Felipe le dijo. Even if we worked for eight months. Dice, aunque trabajáramos por ocho meses. We wouldn't have enough money to feed them. No tuviéramos suficiente dinero para darle de comer a toda esta gente. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Entonces Andrés, el hermano de Simon. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves. And two fish. Y dos peces. But what good is it with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down. Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slope. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Los hombres nada más fueron como cinco mil. 
Then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks to God. Entonces Jehová tomó el pan y le dio gracias a Dios. And he distributed them to the people. Y lo distribuyó a toda la gente. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. Y después de eso, hizo lo mismo con el pescado. And they ate as much as they wanted. Y comieron hasta que se llenaron. After everyone was full, y después que todos estaban llenos, Jesus told his disciples, Jesús les dijo a sus discípulos, Now gather the leftovers. Ahora vayan por lo que sobró. So that nothing is wasted. Para que nada se gaste. Verse 13. So they picked up the pieces. Entonces recogieron todos los pedazos. And filled 12 baskets with scraps. Y llenaron 12 canastos de lo que sobró. Left by the people. De lo que sobró por la gente. Who had eaten from the five barley loaves. De los que habían comido todos What? de los cinco panes. Sorry. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign. Cuando la gente vio este milagro, they exclaimed, "Surely he is the prophet we've been expecting." Gritaban todos, "Seguramente que es el profeta que estuvimos esperando." When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, cuando Jesús vio que querían ellos a fuerzas que sea su rey, he slipped away into the hills. Él se escapó y se fue hacia las montañas by himself. Él solo. Thank you, Mr. Joel. Give it up for Joel. <laughs> I know Kim understood. Now, we're going we're gonna to have, let's see a show of hands. How many people understood what I read? How many people understood what I read? How many people understood what Joel read, what Joel spoke? See, there's a few of us in here, well, all of us in here understand English. So as I read in English, every one of us understood that. Joel translated into Spanish, and there was a few of you this morning who understood. Now, you understood because of what I read in English, but Joel translated in Spanish, which many of us in here did not catch what he said because we don't speak Spanish. See, bilingual, there is a spiritual language that God speaks every single day, and for many, it seems foreign. I don't understand. God, what are you asking? I don't understand. So many people in the world today seeking God, looking for purpose, looking for so many different things. All the while, God's voice is out. It's upon the waters. It's in the church. It's in the workplace. It's everywhere you go. It's everything that you do. His Holy Spirit speaking for a reason, speaking for a cause. But the question is, does God's Spirit seem foreign to you? This morning as we break down our first text, it says that the people were following Jesus for a reason. Now, I don't... They were following Jesus, and Jesus said, it's because you just saw miracles. Turn to your neighbor and say, they saw miracles. They saw some miracles. Now, following Jesus for seeing miracles, how many of us know? How many of us have ever been to a healing crusade? How many of us have ever been to a thing where, you know, there's a, a prophet or somebody come into town, and so they put a healing crusade together, and people will flock to a, to a miracle crusade because they want a miracle. They want to see a miracle. Nothing has changed today compared to what it was back then. 2,000 years ago, people were following Jesus because they wanted to see miracles. They saw people being healed. They saw people being made well by the power of the Holy Spirit. They followed Jesus, and Jesus stated in this text, you're following me because you just want to see miracles. As Jesus looks around at all these people, I love this. He turns to Philip. Now, how many of us this morning hate to be put on the spot? How many of us, you know, in a classroom setting, in a job setting, wherever you may be, whatever you may do, how many of us, when, it, when, when someone puts you on the spot and you're not ready, it's like, oh, don't call on me. All right, Joel? Don't call on me. 
Jesus turns to Philip, and he says, we need to buy bread for these people. And as he turns to Philip and says, we need to buy bread for these people, Philip gives, does he give him the right answer? Did Philip, Philip turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know how it would take eight months, eight months to buy bread for all these people, eight months of work. Now, how many of us, think about this for a second, how many of us would work eight months to pay for one's church service? Philip makes the point, eight months of work to buy bread just to feed the amount of people here. Eight months of work. The amount of work that it goes into just putting one service and Jesus making a point. It says that he asked Philip because he wanted to test Philip. He wanted to test Philip. He wanted to test his heart. He wanted to test him. He wanted to see what was in Philip's heart. Philip was asked, how, where are we going to buy bread for these people? Nowhere. Nowhere could you find enough bread to feed 20,000 people. There was 5,000 men in this story, and it didn't include the women and children. There was no town and village ready. Can you imagine the baker who had to just get a phone call and say, hey, we need bread for 20,000 people. No one wants to get that call. Of course they want the money, but they didn't get that call. Jesus, he turns to Philip, and it says that he asked him this for what reason? It says to test him. Now, I want you to remember that. Jesus asked Philip to what? Jesus asked Philip for what? To test him. Jesus asked Philip what? A question. Why? To test him. It wasn't to love him. It wasn't to encourage him. It was what? To test him. God asks you questions that are testful questions. God asks things of you that are testing you. He's testing you. He's trying you. He's seeing, do you believe? Do you trust? When Joel gets up and talks about tithes and offerings, for many people, it is a trust and it is an issue of do I trust God with my money? Now, how many of us, when, if most of us work, how long does it take us to get ready for work on average. Now, for, for us, sometimes, guys, it's a little bit shorter. You know, for Sam, it's probably two minutes in the back. How many of you, when you get ready for work, it's a little bit of a prep? Right? How many things during the week do you prep for? You prep for work? You prep to do things at home? You prep to get ready? Do you prep yourself for Sunday morning knowing what God is asking of you on a Sunday morning service? God, for, for hundreds of years and thousands of years, church has been going back, and it's a day to honor him. And as Joel gets up and he talks about tithes and offerings, as soon as we see Joel, we know what Joel's going to be talking about. We know what Joel's going to be reading. And it's not something that should surprise any one of us. It should be something that we prepped ourselves for, to give and tithes and offerings a part of service. Jesus, and I bring up tithes and offerings because Jesus is talking to Philip about what? He's talking to him about money. Jesus is talking to Philip about money, and Philip is saying, I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of money. I don't have, and I don't want to work eight months to get enough money to buy bread for all these people. Jesus asked him to test him. And I wonder this morning what God's testing you with. What's God testing you with? And it's not something that, how many of us know that our relationship with God is private? Right? Paul says that you should work out what? Your own salvation, right? 
And so what God is trying to say to you, he's not trying to have you say to your neighbor, God's trying to say to you, God's trying to speak to you, God's trying to ask you, God's trying to ask and he's speaking and he wants you to take it internally and he wants you to process the things that he's trying to, to speak to you this morning. As Philip gave him the wrong answer because he said there's just no way we can afford the bread, what do they do? They turn to a little boy and Andrew's brother, he says, hey, there is a boy here who has five loaves. Now it says that, get this, there's five loaves, barley loaves, and you know what barley loaves are for? for poor people. Here's a poor boy with his bread, but it's bread that's for poor people. He has five barley loaves, poor, and two fish. Turn to the neighbor and say, five barley loaves, five barley loaves, and two fish. Here's a young, poor kid. Now, as I'm reading this story, I wonder, how come this kid's, you know, not in school? Did he want to see what was going on at the healing crusade? Why was this kid not in school? He was out walking. He just happened to be, maybe it was just after school, and he was passing by. Everything in the story turns to one little boy in this story. Philip couldn't figure it out. And you know what? Today, there's many adults who can't figure it out either. There's many adults, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. There's people in so many different seasons of life where they still can't figure it out for God. God has laid it out, but yet they still. How many of us, I ain't going to say that, but struggling to figure it out. You know, there's friends, there's family in every stage of life. I know 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds who still are saying, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want to be a 70-year-old and 80-year-old or saying, God, what do you want me to do? Can you imagine asking all of your life, God, what do you want me to do? Is it that hard to understand, to read the Bible for yourself and know plainly what God is asking you to do? The boy, the men in the story could not figure it out. The men in the story said, I don't know. There's no way. There's no way. How many of us go to God and say, there's no way? God, there's no way you're here. God, there's no way you can do this. God, there's no way. God, there's no way that you could do this. That's what the men said in the story. God, there's no way you can provide. God, there is no way. Jesus, they turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, there is absolutely no way that you can do this. What did the men say in the story? There is no way. In the story, the men, his disciples, and who does he turn to? Who does Jesus look to? And he's asking them a question. How do we do this? I want to feed them. How do we get it done? What's the men reply? There's no way. So what did Jesus end up in the story turning to? He turned to a boy. How important is it as adults to, to pass on to kids God? You know, 95% of kids, what they learn in school, they forget after three days. 95% of what kids learn in school, it's completely forgotten in three days. It's crazy. 98% of what is learned in school changes. 98% of what is learned in school changes. So I have a question for you. How many years 
And I bring up this because there's a boy in the story. How many years get spent in school? How many years, how many years of life get spent in school? From five to 18, right? Five to eight, you start a kindergarten at five and you graduate typically when you're 18, right? So how many years is that? Mathematicians? You spend 13, right? If you start at five, you graduate at 18, that's 13. Scientists, mathematicians say 95% of what you learn in school, it's completely forgotten in three days. 98% of what you learn in school, they say you never use. 98%. Now here's the thing, how many of us, the average age in here is probably 38, right? Now how many of us would agree that what we've learned outside of school in life, what we've learned in our jobs, what we've learned with friends, has stuck with, stuck with us. If scientists say 95% of what you learn in school is forgotten in three days, 98% of what you learn, it changes in your mind, how much do you remember then, school or living life? Living life. And here's a boy in this story that's used, a young little boy. Here's a, a boy in this story who, he's the one who's offering to God. When an adult doesn't want to offer to God what he has, who does Jesus turn to? He turns to a little boy. A poor boy with five barley loaves and two small fish. He turns to this little boy and he says, it's what you have. It's what you have, son. It's what you have. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise small things. What the boy had to give, five barley loaves and two small fish, it was very small for 20,000 people. Five loaves and two fish was very small amount for 20,000 people. And in every one of our heads this morning, how many of us, we would be on the disciple side saying, there's just no way it could happen. There's no way. And how many of us in everyday life situations do we go to God and say, I just don't see it. God, I just don't see it. This story highlights something very small, very strong, and very powerful as Jesus is testing his disciples, as he's testing Philip in the, in the stories. He asks him a question, but yet he highlights. Who does he highlight in the story? A young child. As every one of us as adults, which is the greatest thing that we do for our kids? It's not where we send them, but it's what we help them and empower them, right? How many of us know as Christians, if you learn... If you forget 95% of what you learn in school, how more important is it to teach the Bible, to teach living life? Now, I'm not a great reader. I love to read. I love to study the Bible. But I didn't read in high school, right? It was more fun to play. Most, there's so many boys. There are some boys who are nerds in school, but I wasn't one of them, right? Most of us boys, we wanted to play. We wanted to ride skateboards. We wanted to hang out. We wanted to have fun. And for a lot of kids, you know, they're there to learn. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with learning, right? Nothing wrong with learning at all. Every heart is different. Every heart learns differently. But how many of us have seen in life we learn by living? You know, some of the, the, your lives this morning, you know, it, it's um, how many of us know that that sometimes we have good attitudes and we have bad attitudes. How many of us know that sometimes, the, and every one of us can struggle to have a bad attitude, 
right? Every one of us can struggle to have a bad attitude. But I wonder as we read this story, and as we're going to go through these verses, as we continue on in the story, we continue with Jesus, we continue with the boy, and then we continue in the conversation he has with some adults. As we continue in the story, Jesus is highlighting the attitude of the people that he's around. He's about to bring up some very specific things that he says to them, and then he sees the reaction. Why, why did he do that? Just for them? No, it's for us. Jesus wants to point and highlight something in this story as he uses a boy, as he uses Philip, as he uses the test. And he's saying, listen, I'm asking, what's your response? If God asks of you every single day, he asks of me, what's my response? How many of us know sometimes we, f we fail, right? And sometimes we, we answer with flying colors. Now, remember, our theme is bilingual, and some of us in here, we are bilingual. You get English, Spanish, maybe some other languages, and that's great, and it's open doors for you, and, it, and it, everywhere you work and everything that you do and with your friend circles, being bilingual, it helps you. There's opportunities that I don't have because I'm not bilingual, but there's another language. It's a heavenly language, and that is the language of God. That's the language that will help you far greater than being bilingual, far greater than being trilingual, far greater than, than understanding and studying, far greater than anything that you do in life. If you truly want the best of life and all that it has to offer, it's learning how to be spiritually bilingual and hearing God's voice and his spirit when he speaks to you. God's spirit. Above all, he said he's our friend, he's our comforter, he's our helper, he's the one that empowers us, he's our counselor, he's our advocate, he fights for us, he's the one who raises the dead, he's the one that will raise these bodies from the dead. The Holy Spirit who gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How many of us self-control? How many of us we don't know how to say no? Jesus said, when, or Paul in Galatians, it's the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that will give you self-control. The Holy Spirit has every single thing that you need. I've been in uh, Home Depot quite a few uh, times this week because I broke our toilet in our house. And um, our toilet had a running issue. It wasn't, you know, getting up and running around, but it just continued to run water. And so as I'm trying to troubleshoot and fix things, I ended up uh, cracking the tank on top, right? And so I went to Home Depot because I first was replacing the parts inside the tank. And then after I got the new parts to replace inside the tank, as I tightened the bolts, I cracked the tank and my toilet was gone. Right? But as I'm walking into Home Depot this week, I'm looking up and I'm saying, you know, it's crazy as you look at these big buildings, Home Depot, Lowe's, and Walmart. What have, what have they done? The big buildings have replaced what? The little guys. Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart. And they've made what? A one-stop shop for hardware, right? Now, Walmart's tried to make the one-stop shop for clothing, even though most people don't prefer to shop there for clothes, but some do, right? Walmart, you have Target. And what do they do? They're creating these large facilities that are trying to make what? A one-stop shop. They're trying to create this one place, this one atmosphere, so that you could come in and find every single thing that you need. Is the Holy Spirit this morning everything that you look for? Is the Holy Spirit everything that you listen for? Because the Holy Spirit physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, 
every part of your life, the Holy Spirit has what you need. Jesus in the story, as he tells the disciples to pick up and clean up, it says that there was 12 baskets of food, 12 baskets of food. There was 12 disciples and there was a basket for every one of them. You know why there was 12? Because all 12 didn't think it could be done. All 12 men did not think that they could feed 20,000 people. And so there was a basket to remind them, there was a basket for them to remember all things are possible with God. All things are possible for those who believe. It was a basket to remind them, listen, God doesn't give you just enough. God gives you what? More than enough. God gives them 12 baskets of food, 12 baskets for them to pick up, 12 basketfuls, making the point. Listen, remember, remind yourself. As soon as Jesus asked the disciples to pick up, the people in the story they see Jesus, and it says, this is, has to be the prophet. We just saw him do miracles. He just fed us with five loaves and two fish. It said, what do they want to do? They wanted to force him to be the, what? The king. Now, Jesus had a full day. How many of us have, you know, a full day? You know, yesterday, um, I get up, and I had two customers who were yelling and screaming at me. I had one customer yelling at me for basil. He got bad ba basil on Thursday, and he got bad basil yesterday. And he said he had to have basil. And so me and two of my daughters, Jordan and Shiloh, we spent four hours. Now, five pounds of basil, selling them to him, cost 30 bucks. He was yelling, screaming, cussing, because I needed to get him basil. And we spent four hours trying to find five pounds of basil. But I dare you to go look in Hemet to try and find five pounds of fresh basil. They sell 0.2-ounce packages in Walmart, Stater Brothers, right in Sprout. So 0.2 ounces, and you need five pounds. I call somebody in Temecula, and you know what they say in Temecula? Yeah, yeah, no problem. We got five pounds. And I get to the store in Temecula, and you know what I find out? It wasn't fresh, regular basil. It was Thai basil which is different. It's different than Italian basil that you use in the Italian restaurant. You don't use Thai basil, you use regular basil. So as I drove all over Hemet with my two daughters, two of my daughters, and then we drive to Temecula for what? Nothing. And then my customer calls me and he says, where's my clams? I go, I don't know. So I look on his order and it's not there. He goes, I ordered five cases. I need basil, I need clams right now. He goes, you're gonna have to call your boss. I need it now. So I, of course, called my boss. We just happened to be sending a truck up to Idlewild, and so they were able to get his five, five cases of clams, and I ordered five more pounds of basil. It's all gonna be beautiful, even though I wasted four hours, right? Right at the same time, another customer calls me, and we forgot to order bacon, and he needs bacon for the weekend. So I'm like, great, this day is just, and it ended up so perfect. And see, my job yesterday for the day was to do what? Replace a toilet, right? That's my one job I had yesterday. Take care of the kids, replace the toilet, and because I got customers yelling, cussing, and screaming at me, what am I doing? I'm driving around just wasting time. The truck gets to Idlewild, and instead of five pounds of basil, he gets one pound of basil. So as I got the customer, you know, on speakerphone, and I sh probably shouldn't have, but, you know, he's, again, yelling, cussing, screaming, and my kids are laughing, and he's really, really upset because he couldn't believe that he ordered five more pounds 
two times it was rotten, and then he goes to order five pounds, and what does he get? One pound. And if you're a busy Italian restaurant, one pound, he says, it's going to last me the next hour. I needed five pounds for today's lunch, to dinner, Sunday, Monday, and now it's got messed up all over again. So I ended up spending eight hours on basil and bacon yesterday. And then I had the wonderful opportunity to buy a toilet and to replace my very first toilet in my house, which was so exciting. It was so exciting. And so, you know, when you're done doing all those things, you know, when you have a long day of being yelled at by customers and they're cussing and they're threatening and, and then you have your own stuff to do, how many of us know it could feel like a full day, right? And I wonder how many of you have had a full day similar to I. Now, I heard Joel's full day yesterday. Joel was up in Idaho. Joel was back down to Hemet. Joel had to go to Mexico and back from Mexico, home and sleeping at 4.30 in the morning, but he's still here, bright-eyed, right? And he had a full day. Full day yesterday. Jesus in the story, and I say that because Jesus in this story had a very full day. What did Jesus' day start with in this story? It started actually before the bread. He started with a healing crusade, and he was healing people. So he goes from a healing crusade, now he goes to feeding everybody, 20,000 people. And one of the things I love about restaurant business, if you go in and want to cook, is cooking at lunchtime and you try talking to them, that's one of the ways you can get a knife thrown at you, right? So if you go in a restaurant at lunchtime and the cook is cooking and he's frustrated and you try and sell him, hey, how about some green beans when he's cooking lunch and, and prime heat of the day? And if you're in a kitchen, it's usually hotter than it is anywhere else. It's like hell inside of a kitchen sometimes, unless you have a nice owner who's made it nice and cool in there, right? And so it's hot. And so Jesus, he turns to the disciples and says, us 13, we need to feed 20,000 people. 20,000 people. And I'm sure for them, they're thinking, this guy is crazy. Miracle crusade to lunchtime. What does Jesus do next? We know that as you continue on in the story, he sends the disciples on ahead. Healing crusade, feeding everybody lunch, and then he goes and he prays all night. Jesus prays all night, and then you know what he does? He walks on water. I had a full day yesterday of just driving around trying to find basil. Nothing compared to Jesus' day. Healing crusade, feeding lunch, and then Jesus ends it. He's walking on water. Crazy. Talk about a full day. Talk about so much power. Talk about so many things happening in just this one specific day. Jesus walking on the water. Crazy. And so as we get into this next part, we're going to go through a short dialogue of some verses that Jesus has with the adults. But I want, you to, I want you to picture in your head, the people were with Jesus through that full day. The people were with Jesus every step of the way. John 6, 28 says this. It says, Jesus replied, tell you the truth. If you want to be, you want to be with me, why? Because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, but you don't. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? So as we go through this part, and I've got about six different verses that I want to go through. I want you to listen carefully. I want you to read carefully. But I want you to understand there's a conversation. Jesus, the disciples, 
And then all these thousands of people that they're hanging out with in this one full exciting day. And they come to Jesus and they says, listen, you only want to be with me because I fed you. You, want to be, you only want to be with me because I fed you. You only want to be with me for what I can do for you. As Jesus starts this dialogue with the people, these 20,000 people, as they're following everywhere, he says to them, you only want to be with me just because I fed you, just because what I can do for you. And then he goes on in verse 29, he says, this is the only word God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. Believe in Jesus Christ. And they answered, show us a sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? So as we follow through this conversation, how does it start with Jesus? After walking on water, after feeding 20,000 people, after going through a miracle and healing crusade, what is Jesus dialoguing with the same exact people? You only want me because I feed you. You only want me because I do miracles. This is the one thing he said God is asking of you. Believe in the one he sent, which is him. What did the people say to Jesus? We only believe if you show us a sign. We only will believe if you show us a sign. So Jesus goes on in 35 and he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. Jesus makes one of the very first statements of being who he is. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry. If you come to me, you're never going to be thirsty. You will never need another thing in life. If you come to me and if you believe that I am the bread of life, he says you will never be hungry and you will never be thirsty ever, ever again. John 6, 41, as Jesus continues to go on, he says, the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, listen, this, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father. We know his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? I love this conversation that Jesus has with the people. They watched him perform miracles. The sick were healed. There was a miraculous feeding, 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. The same people followed him in a boat across to the other side. And as they start to have this conversation, they're going back and forth. And then Jesus is saying, listen, he turns to them, you only follow me because I feed you. You only follow me because you want something. You only look into me. And it says at this point, they start to what? Murmur. And they start talking amongst themselves. Who is this guy? What is he talking about? Who is this guy? What is he talking about? Isn't this the son of Joseph? How's he the bread of heaven? And they start having questions. And they start having concerns. We know his father and mother. How can he be the bread that comes down from heaven? And so Jesus goes on, and he says in 53, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me, and I remain in him. Wow. If it doesn't get any weirder to this point, Love this conversation. Jesus having with this crowd 20,000 plus people. It, it turns to all this and he says, what? Eat my flesh and drink my blood? This is the son of God. This is Jesus. What are the people thinking? 
I know what they're thinking. This guy is crazy. As it goes on in verse 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? What will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? This is the best part. Verse 63, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. What alone gives eternal life? The Spirit. Jesus said the Spirit alone gives eternal life. And then he says this, human effort, our flesh, does what? Accomplishes nothing. How many believers do we know? They say, I struggle all the time. I can't do this. I can't do that. Why? Because they're living without the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit, if we need to be a better, stronger Christian, what do we need? The Spirit of God. Jesus said the Spirit alone, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. I love how Jesus says, are you offended? You know, we read the Word of God, and one of the things I love about the Word of God, it's from start to finish. Jesus does what he just did, because just as some of you are sitting this morning, and you're thinking, and you're wondering, but you know what you're also doing this morning? You're also questioning, and you're also doubting this morning. Jesus brings up all these different things in here, for one specific reason, because he wanted to see that doubt. He wanted to see the questions in their eyes. He wanted to see the confusion. And then you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to see what they're going to do next. What did the people do after Jesus laid out miracles, feeding? You know what they did? I'm out of here. Everybody walks away except for the disciples. Now, why would Jesus scare away 20,000 people? Jesus was testing their faithfulness. Jesus wanted to see if I say something extremely difficult. The Bible says the Lord is our shepherd, and he leads us by green pastures, by, by calm waters. But there's also times where he leads us through dark valleys. And it's when we're in those dark valleys that we say, now, this ain't God, I'm out of here. For the people in the story, these 20,000 people, when the going got tough, what the tough get doing? The tough, the people left, right? When the going, how many of us know when the going gets tough, right? What do people do? In this story, I'm out. They deserted Jesus. No matter what they saw, no matter what they felt in that moment, 20,000 people walk out on him because he said one simple thing, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Sounds crazy. Sounds like something you'd see on TV today, right? Some kind of vampire movie. Jesus said something so strong in his language. Jesus said something so strong in the language for one reason. We know that he asked Philip a question, and why did he ask Philip the question? It says he asked Philip a question for what? To test him. I love blessing. Remember when Joel was talking about tithes and offerings this morning? What did he say? 20 verses, and it all talked about giving and then what? Receiving. And the Bible is full of giving and receiving. The Bible is full of blessing. But you know what the Bible is also full of? Testing and trials. God leads us through testing and trials to see where our faithfulness is. Where our faithfulness is. 
He said, the spirit alone gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. At this point, the disciples turned away, and they all deserted him. Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you going to leave me too? Simon Peter replied, Lord, who should we go? We ha you ha have the words that give eternal life. We believe, we know that you are the Holy One of God. Why would Jesus say something knowing that 20,000 people were going to walk away from him? Why would Jesus share something knowing intentionally that all these people are going to get up and they're going to walk away right now? Jesus drives home something very, very important. And so as we wrap up, as we pull all of these things, all the texts that we read this morning, there's things that Jesus lists out, and here they are. Number one, he says, I want you to believe. He says, the only thing I'm asking you is to believe in the one whom he sent, which was Jesus Christ. He's talking about himself. Have faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we know that nothing is impossible for God. For the 12 men, for the 12 disciples, over and over and over again, it was lesson after lesson. Nothing is impossible with God. Thirdly, stop being so concerned with what we don't have. Does God need us to have more, or does God need us to do more with what we have? Does God need us to have more? Because how much time do we spend on having more? Be honest, right? If we're going to be honest, this is the best place to be honest, in church. How much time do we spend on having more? And is that what God wants? In the story of taking five loaves and two fish from a poor kid, from a kid who has hardly anything, this is a poor kid and a poor family who gives a very little. Does God need us to be concerned with having more? Or does God need us to be concerned with doing more with what we have? Does our time and energy and effort, no matter where we are, no matter what we do for him, is it God, I need more, or is it God, bless what I have and increase what I have? God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, or is it God, bless the little that I have? God, take the little offering that I have. Take the little thing that I'm giving you today. God, bless the energy that I'm giving you today. God does not need us to, to just daydream all the time about having more. He needs us to do more with what we have. Number four, he needs us to be thankful for every single little thing that is in our hands in life. Jesus described himself as the bread of heaven, number five. And in describing himself as the bread of heaven, saying that I can meet every one of your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. There is no man and there is no woman on this planet that can meet the need that you have. Only Jesus Christ can meet every single need that you have. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. There is nothing on this planet that can do for you what Jesus Christ does. Six, Jesus' kingdom, he was describing his kingdom is not of this world. What did they want to do? As soon as they heard Jesus, when Jesus was preaching and when Jesus was doing great things, what did they want to do? They wanted to make him king. When Jesus started saying things that they didn't understand and what did they, the things that they didn't like, what did they want to do? They wanted to walk out. When he's preaching good, when he's talking about blessing, when he's talking about healing, when he's talking about prosperity, when they were drawing and getting the things that they wanted, when life was good and I'm getting everything that I want, let's make Jesus king. This guy's awesome. But the minute that they stopped receiving from Jesus, what did they do? They walked out. Jesus was making a point. The kingdom, his life, 
He was bringing a spiritual kingdom to this earth. He was connecting heaven and earth together. And he makes one of the hardest points for a lot of believers. Stop following Jesus for what we get, but follow Jesus for what you can give. So many people in our world today, we live in a, such a selfish age. And I'm selfish too. I'm a selfish person, right? Every one of us battles with being selfish. We fight with one another because we're selfish. We fight with friends. We fight with family. We fight with spouses. We fight with our kids. We fight with coworkers. Why? Because we're all selfish people. And you know what? Being selfish today, it's worse than it's ever been. It is gross and it is disgusting. There are people walking out on, on marriages, on families, on homes, on jobs. There is more selfishness today than it's ever. And it's prophesied in the last days. People will only care about who? Themselves, right? Jesus, as believers today, he's saying, stop following me, as he said to them 2,000 years ago. Stop following me for what I give you. Follow me for what you can give. When we come to church, it's not about what we get, but it's about what we give. Church is not about what we receive. It is about what we give. The last thing, and it's one of, hard, one of the hardest things to say, is, you know, Apostle Paul, James 1, 2, he says, Brothers and sisters, when trouble comes of any kind your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When Jesus described something that was very difficult to 20,000 people, he gave them an opportunity. They just didn't take that opportunity. God is good. God is great. God is amazing all the time. But when a test and a trial comes your way this week, what is God doing? He's stretching. He's trying. He's testing. And as Paul, or as James, his half-brother, describes, it's an opportunity for what? Great joy. For when your faith is being tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. Jesus is more concerned with your spiritual growth than anything. But how many of us are spiritual growing? There's so many things in life happening. There's so many things in life moving today. There's so many things that we have to focus on this week. There's so many bills that got to get paid. So many things that have to get accomplished. Things that we have to fix in our houses, fix in our jobs, fix everywhere we go and fix everything that we do. So where does spiritual growth go on that list? From here on Sunday down to where? Forgotten about. God wants you to grow as a believer. He wants me to grow as a believer. He wants us to grow as Christians. And you know what he does? What does he have to do when we're not paying attention? He sends something your way. We're going to close and pray. So if you want